This is the Key to Authority podcast, episode number 54 with Lisa Evans. Welcome to the Key to Authority podcast, where it is all about helping you unlock the secrets of becoming the go-to expert in your industry. And here is your host, Janish Pandya. Hello and welcome to episode 54. I know it's been a long, long while and I've been on a sabbatical. It's been roughly almost six months since we've published a new episode, but we're back again. And I had a lot of thinking to do, a lot of reviewing and whether I was doing right things or not. And that's why I decided to just take a break, stop everything and think about where I'm going with this podcast with stuff in my business. Got I think I think I've got everything back on track and I think I'm in the right place to start publishing and start focusing. So after the next four or five episodes, you'll see that the episodes we'll be publishing will be more streamlined towards speakers and coaches and the profession of public speaking and professional speakers earning money from speaking, running courses, running training, running Con, uh, speaking as keynote conferences and then also to the business of coaching, helping other businesses, helping other individuals and more on that. So we'll be f- more focused because that's what I found out in my review that that's what this podcast was lacking and that's what this business was lacking. Uh, there was no clear direction in that space. So with that out of the way, Let's get into today's guest. Today's guest is Lisa Evans. Lisa is an incredible person who really gets the power of stories and helps you share them through her business, Speaking Savvy. She's the founder of Speaking Savvy, an award-winning speaker, a certified speaking and storytelling coach, and she's also a TEDx coach here in Perth. For the past six years, Lisa has been passionate about speaking and has a love of empowering others to learn to speak confidently and use their stories to create change. Now, Lisa works with execs, leaders, entrepreneurs to help them be the best speakers they can be. So I was like, let's get her on the show. And I'd gone through an interview. We had an amazing, amazing chat about all things storytelling and humor and different kind of things. And it's just a nice, lovely chat we had that great brings a lot, a lot of insight into the power of stories. So hope you enjoyed. Here's the interview with Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Welcome to the Key to Authority podcast. Uh, we got introduced over Facebook. Uh, I think you found out about Key to Authority at one of the NIFNEXT presentations from Ron Gibson, I believe. You wrote a lovely message, and I've been using that all throughout my presentations as the power of podcasting. And then recently we were caught up, and you attended my podcasting workshop and obviously, I can't wait for you to start your podcast, but here we are, and I wanted to pick your brains in terms of what you do regards to creating powerful messages and crafting and delivering stories in such a way that people create memorable presentations. So I thought, let's have a chat about that and see where this goes. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Janesh. It's really great to be here. I'm really excited. And so glad that I got to meet you and also to do your podcasting workshop. Yeah, it's it's great fun. So, Lisa, tell me where this journey of yours in terms of becoming a public speaking coach 
start and how the hell did he get involved in it? Because I don't think anyone goes up and wakes up one day and is like, I want to become a public speaking coach. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> it started for me really quite by accident. So my background is as a midwife. So I, I started to trained as a nurse when I was 18. I'm originally from London and I trained as a nurse and then I went on to train as a midwife and I specialized in neonatal intensive care nursing. So looking after tiny babies on life support and it was a challenging job, really high tech and, and very demanding, but I absolutely loved my job and I felt as though that was what I was meant to do. And it took me working in, in the leading centres across the world, London, Oxford, Cambridge, Sydney, and then I was recruited and came to, to Perth. And I never imagined doing anything else. And, and then life had other plans in store for me. And literally, one day my life turned upside down. I woke up and I fell to the floor. The room was spinning violently and I couldn't even lift my head off, off the ground. I was really, really scared. I knew something bad was happening and I didn't know what it was. So I shouted out to my husband to come and help me. And I knew that I was using my vocal cords, but no sound came out. All I could hear was a tiny white noise, you know, the type of noise when the radio is not quite tuned in properly. Yeah. Yeah. So I went off to hospital and, and after about three weeks on a, on a drip, the severe vertigo subsided, but the hearing loss was permanent. So in that moment, a virus destroyed most of my hearing and, and my balance. Crap. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, because of the type of hearing loss that I had where there was nerve damage, I was told that that there was nothing that could be done. There was no possibility that my hearing would return and there was no treatment. So for 20 years up to that point, I had worked as a neonatal intensive care nurse, loved my job, never thought of doing anything else. And here I was having to come to the reality that without my hearing, I couldn't work in that area. So with great sadness, I, I walked away from the only career that I've ever known. And that was a, a real difficult time for me and a real turning point. So I went back to uni and I finished an MBA and I became a public servant in a health-related large government department. And I really struggled to fit in. I didn't understand how government departments worked. And it was a complete contrast to frontline nursing where decisions were made in the intensive care unit quickly as tiny lives were at stake and, and moving into a government department where things happen so slowly and often without much of a reason. And even worse, it was a Really toxic environment, that particular workplace. So bullying was the norm and management turned a blind eye. So I then became the target for some terrible workplace bullying. And as a result of that, my self-esteem and my confidence plummeted. So I was not only getting used to having to change my career and, and having um, uh, reduced hearing, but also in this horrible, horrible environment. And I became really, really low and I spent a lot of time asking why me and feeling really down and sorry for myself. And this went on for quite some time. And it was only when I, I flipped my attitude on its head and I stopped asking why me and instead, why not me? And that's when things started to, to change. So once I adopted a possibility mindset, I started to set out and find out all that I could about my particular type of hearing loss and who the leading experts were in that field. And that's when I came across Professor Rajan and I went along to him and I told him my story and he invited me to be on a research trial to have a cochlear implant. 
So that was a, a beginning of a new chapter in my life, a long road ahead, learning to use the cochlear implant. Now, the brain has to be retrained to hear and process sound all over again because the sound that you get from one of these amazing devices is nothing like natural sound. It's really synthetic, and at first it's indecipherable. So there were frequent visits to the research team and hours and hours and hours of training, listening to recordings, and slowly but surely I was able to make out one single sound and then a single syllable, then a word, moving on to to sentences, and slowly my brain adapted to this different way of, of hearing. And as a result of not being able to hear, if you can't hear yourself, you can also have difficulty speaking. So I spent a lot of time practicing speaking and, and listening, and that's when I joined Toastmasters. So that was five years ago, and that was really the beginning of my journey in learning to find my voice. So I dedicated most of my spare time to the craft of public speaking. I soon got hooked on Toastmasters. I worked my way through the educational program and I became hooked on competitive speaking. And since then, I've won many prizes and awards in Toastmasters. And over time, my confidence grew and I had the courage to walk away from the toxic workplace. And that's when I decided to start my own business as a public speaking and storytelling coach. So I've sort of gone from being stuck in a why me attitude and then being trapped in a job and feeling really powerless to change. But then once I've made that switch to the hey, why not me attitude, I was then able to look for alternatives and to then accept the amazing gift of the cochlear implant, which is a truly wonderful device. And in learning to find my own voice and learning to speak with confidence, that's when I developed a passion for helping others because we all have stories that deserve to be told and using our voice is the most powerful tool that we've got to tell our stories to the world, to create change. And I honestly know what it's like not to be able to have the confidence and courage to stand up in front of an audience and speak in public. And I've learned to overcome that and realize the power of public speaking and how empowering it is when you are a confident speaker. So that's how I got into public speaking, literally from, from being a midwife to having a bit of a midlife crisis and a career change. And now I'm doing what I absolutely love to do. Wow, what a great journey. And so do you still have the implant and is that functioning like that or do you have to do the visits again? I know it's a bit off topic, but I'm now getting curious <laughs> from that story. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a work in progress. And the device is not – you have the surgery, which is delicate enough um, a surgery as it is, but that's really just the, the easiest part because it's it's a real work in process. The rehabilitation is, is constantly has to uh, – the brain has to learn to rewire itself and hear in a totally different way because the sound waves bypass the damaged area, which is the nerves, and go straight into the processor, which is inside the skull, and and then turn the sound waves into something that simulates natural sound. But simulate being the key word is it is nothing like natural sound at all. So what you hear is nothing like what I hear. And then to make things more complicated, because I had a little bit of residual hearing left in one ear, my brain has to merge the two types oh. of sounds together, and the sound from the implant comes slightly delayed from the sound that's natural. So the, my brain is constantly working to uh, listen effectively, to 
uh, process the sound and to make sense of that sound as well as interpreting the, the signal. So some days it's better than others, but it, it's tiring. And yeah, it does involve um, remaining in touch with the fantastic research team and sometimes getting, you know, upgrades and updates just like any other software. <laughs> Wow, I still can't imagine how challenging that would be, especially when you're working public speaking where you have to hear people constantly and you have to make sense of all that and even just doing normal stuff. It's, I didn't, I didn't know. Wow. <laughs> this is interesting. So again, so is this like now become industry standard or is it still in development, this cochlear implant? Or would you know of that or not? Um, it, it depends on the type of hearing loss that you have. Um, I think it is it is industry standard, but it depends on how you lost your hearing, whether you were born without hearing, and what part's been damaged. So if it's nerve damage, then the cochlear implant is is the best form of treatment for that. But you need to have it done as soon as um, soon as possible after losing that. A hearing because otherwise then those, those pathways become closed or, or, um, stop functioning and it becomes more difficult for the, the brain to learn to, to use it again. But uh, my understanding is that as a result of the research trial, um, the implant is now available under Medicare on, for my type of hearing loss. Yeah. So it's a good thing. I'm glad I helped the researchers out with their trial and, Certainly great for me to be involved. So I was the second person in Australia, I think, to to um, get the implant. Yeah. Oh no, that's great, and thanks for helping out heaps of other people as well. But this is really interesting, and this brings me to my next question: is you mentioned that that change where you asked the question "Why me?" instead of asking that question "Why me?" but to "Why not me?" So what was the initiator of that question at that particular moment what happened so that you started asking this question because that's a critical moment in your life and doing what you're doing at the moment yeah it, it was a critical point in in my life and one of the the wonderful things about the 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 job that i i disliked on on the whole was I got to travel to some of the most remote uh, communities and places throughout uh, WA up in the far far north with wonderful Australian landscapes and beautiful colours and wonderful people. And it was on one of these um, remote uh, trips where I was spending quite some time with a, a colleague driving for hours on isolated roads. And I must have been having a bad day and I was, you know, sharing the same hard luck why me story. And she actually said to me, well, why not you? You know, you spend enough time saying to yourself, why me? Why me? You have so many, so many skills and, and so much experience to offer. Why not do something about it? And that's really the turning point that, that it, it somebody else really brought attention to, to the fact and, and made me think that possibly, you know, it was the whole attitude thing. Because until I flipped the attitude, I wasn't open to trying to find any solutions. I accepted what I was initially told, that there was no possibility that I would have any sort of hearing back. But once I flipped the attitude, it was, let's go and find out for myself what can possibly be done. And and it was through the, the change in attitude that things became positive for me in all sorts of ways, you know, getting out of the toxic workplace um, getting on the research trial, 
building back my self-confidence. Um, I mean, the, the, the virus that day destroyed much of my hearing, but the toxic workplace destroyed much of my self-confidence. And although I couldn't do anything about the virus destroying my hearing, I could certainly not let, let that toxic behavior get to me. And that's when I said about building my self-confidence again through the power of, of public speaking, a supportive community, peers, friends, and people that really believed in me, as well as Toastmasters being the safe and supportive environment where it's okay to practice and, and stuff up with people that are there to encourage you along the way. Oh, that's great. And that question, as I've heard again previously in a couple of other interviews, that trying to remove that blame side of things and accepting it is one of the keys and you're a living example of that. So that's really, really awesome and really appreciate you sharing that because it's an emotional journey. And as we mentioned earlier on, like this is a story that you've just started to tell people and even accepting that is something really that pushes you out of the comfort zone. It does, yeah. So, Lisa, in terms of now your journey from your Toastmasters and competition, becoming a public speaking coach and a storytelling coach. So when you started out, what was that thing that was working for you and what wasn't in terms of getting the clients or getting the bookings and things like that? So what were you trying out in terms of sending out your messages or what was it like? Initially, when I started off in, in business, I was doing uh, coaching and, and quite a bit of speaking for, for free to get known and, and building up my, my brand and my credibility and my trust. And with a health background and a particular interest in uh, mental health and well-being, as well as the uh, the bullying and in the toxic workplace, I found myself reaching out and, and helping people from uh, not-for-profits and, and volunteers sharing their stories. So I worked with a few people on recovery stories as a volunteer, helping people who had a really powerful message of a, of a lived experience and, and a recovery journey that they then wanted to share with the wider audience, but they weren't quite sure on how to put the message together or even whether the message was worth sharing. So we'd work on crafting the message together and then working on the delivery and putting. So that was really, really rewarding to work with with those people as a, a volunteer. And then um, I began coaching for TEDx uh, Perth. So I've done that for the last few years, which has been a, a great experience working with some wonderful speakers, helping them with the TEDx style. Um, I initially spent quite a bit of time on, on social media and, and doing creating content on my, my blog and, and LinkedIn and across various platforms. So putting out um, good content for people around public speaking and, and storytelling and presentation skills and really listening to what people wanted to, to hear. So in terms of that, uh, so what was that message you found and how did you find that? What did people want to hear? I guess uh, I, um, I knew that there were many people out there who have a real fear of, of public speaking. And I probably didn't realize how much of a barrier it is for so many people because it, it really can hold you back. And I certainly felt that way in, in my previous job that 
um, because I wasn't a confident speaker and I lacked, I had low self-esteem and, and I was lacking confidence, I felt as though I was being overlooked a fair bit and, and people were getting opportunities and promotions and, and other good stuff was happening to them, not because they were better than me or they had more skills or more experience or more qualifications. It was just because they had that, you know, pick me attitude and they were willing to, to jump up and, and to present in public. And I think that, um, it, it's a great skill to have. And, and sometimes you have to, you've got to push yourself and quite often it, it does feel uncomfortable. But there's a, a great saying um, from a mentor that I love, and that is get comfortable being uncomfortable. And sometimes mm-hmm. some of the best stuff happens when you're on the edge or outside of your comfort zone, but often the hardest part is getting started. And a, a lot of people I find, a lot of clients I have really do avoid. They avoid public speaking altogether. And you can possibly get away with doing that for some time, but some there will be one day when your boss says, you know, hey, you're going over <laughs> east to present at a conference and then people are like, oh, my God, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Or they put it off and they put it off and they put it off and then they're trying to hurriedly put together a presentation at the 11th hour and, and it really just doesn't work. So for a lot of people, it's a skills gap, a skills and knowledge gap as well as a confidence gap. But I think that particularly small business owners, entrepreneurs, emerging leaders and, and executives really do understand the power and the importance of being able to speak confidently and effectively in public. But for many people, it still is a, a big challenge and, and something that they need help to, to overcome. And I, I have a lot of empathy because I know what it's like to be stuck in that place. And I can also see the opportunities and the growth that I've experienced from uh, putting myself out there, getting into that comfort zone and out of, outside of that comfort zone and just saying, Hey, this is what, this is what I've got to do to develop my own career and my own, um, my own personal de- development. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And as you mentioned, when you started out, that was the way you promoted your business and your services by speaking at different events. And it's one of the most effective marketing tool that you can have where you speak at events or workshops and things or presentations and you're not marketing just one-to-one, but one-to-many, probably 50 or 70 people with that single half an hour, hour presentation. So not only important for the business professionals, but for also SMEs, consultants and speakers that those kind of the people who are listening to this presentation. So speaking is key and one of the reasons I've got you on the show. So you were talking about crafting a message and things. And I know from past, from the interviews with Tom Morrow or Paula Smith, uh, that the message you have should be memorable and the presentation, like people should remember that presentation for a while. So, Lisa, from your experience and from your coaching and consulting side of things, what you've learned, what is that key to creating a memorable presentation? I think that to get started takes a lot of, of planning. And I talk about the three P's and quite simply, it's planning, preparation and, and practice. So allowing enough time to put together a, a decent speech or a presentation is really essential. 
And I always start off by asking the who, what, why, when, where, and how questions. And I put together um, a mind map and I will jot down as much as I can on that big piece of paper and make a big mess. So I might have the topic in the middle and I will just create a big mess on the piece of paper and I'll write down everything that I would like to say on, on that topic. And then out of that messy big piece of paper, I'll start to think about, okay, what is the, the key message or the one thing that I want to share with the audience that I want them to take away and remember from, from this speech? So finding out as much as you can about your audience, who they are, what do they know about your area of expertise or the topic that you're going to be speaking on, finding out as much about them and what they want because the number one golden rule of public speaking is it's never about me the speaker it's always about you the audience and what you need or what you want to know so if you craft your message with the audience always front and center thinking about what it is that they want to know then that means you're in a good place as well so thinking about the key message and making the key message really what we call sticky so having it clear having it short and simple and ideally in in 10 words or or less so if you can explain what your one hour or your 20 minute or your 10 minute presentation is about in 10 words or less or even better you know a tweetable uh, 140 characters or less then then that means that if you've got that clarity and you're really clear on your purpose and your message and your intent then your audience are more likely to be clear on your message because if you're not clear then then they're not going to be clear. And I don't know if you've ever heard any speakers who get up the front and they've been talking for five or ten minutes and you're thinking, what are they talking about? You know, they're going from one thing to another thing to another thing. And and often it's a mistake that people commonly make because as experts that are keen to share our knowledge uh, in our presentations, we often try and cram too much information in because we want to tell our audience everything. And quite often I'll I'll have clients come to me with a presentation that they've already got that they want help delivery with. And they might have nine points or seven or nine points, which is a lot of information to get across. And when we start talking about possibly pruning some of the presentation and, and cutting it down a little bit, often people will say, well, no, it's all important. And <laughs> it absolutely is all important. It's really, really good stuff. But I say to them, well, what, what do you want? Do you want to give your audience nine points that they'll forget or do you want to give them three points that they'll remember? And often in a speech, less is best. So making your message really clear, really simple, having a key message, an opening with impact, uh, a strong close, and making the middle, so like the hamburger approach with the beginning and end, and in the middle, have three or five points, but but don't cram too much information because if you cram the information in, you push the audience out, they'll switch off if they can't follow along with what you're trying to say or if you don't have that clarity and you won't be remembered. (laughs) So how does one get that key message? Because I guess that's the substance in that hamburger sandwich. Yeah, well, the key message is really the foundation that the whole speech is built on. So if you can come up with the key message early on, then you can make sure that all the points that you want to say are directly related to that key message. And it's a good way to... 
to colour your presentation with that key message in mind. So if the particular point that you wanted to say doesn't support or add value to that key message, then it's a good thing to throw that out and just make sure that it's all relevant to that key message. So another way to describe it is uh, thinking about um, saying to yourself at the beginning, what is the one thing from my presentation today do I want the audience to take away? You know, not 10 things or 20 things or six things, one thing. So just keep it really, really simple and hopefully they will walk away with that one thing. You know, they might not remember your name or your whole keynote or your book or your uh, what you're selling, but hopefully they will remember that one key message in 10 words or less or sometimes you can use a, a catchphrase or a memorable phase, phrase or you can hashtag it or tagline it in a way that, that it really does uh, stick. So, and that message in terms of sticky message that we're talking about and making it sticky. So what, is there a process behind it or how is there like you have to repeat it five times or things like that, like the subconscious way? Cause I know there's a lot of those kind of techniques and anchoring and all that kind of stuff. So is there some techniques around making a message sticky so that people remember? Yeah, there's a few, there's a few techniques. I don't know about the, the science behind how many times you, you say, you say <laughs> the message, but certainly adding uh, anchors and, and anecdotes and analogies and, and stories and maybe even quotes and adding humor, you know, anything that, um, makes the audience, um, be able to relate to what it is that you're saying. So you're always trying to get into the audience's minds and think about things from their perspective and helping them understand and really taking them on, on the journey. Yeah. Now getting back to, so that's really important because sticky message and key message is what your substance is. So you earlier on talked about the three P's, the planning, the preparation and the practice. So we talked about planning is the who, what, why, and when. Is there anything else in terms that goes into the planning phase? Obviously, finding about the audience as well, but is there anything else apart from that? I think that's that's really you know finding out you know, the logistics of where you'll be speaking and how much time you've got to to plan and 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 then once you can answer all those questions, it's a lot easier to start preparing your material and then moving into the the preparation phase, which is really writing your message and refining your message and and having a chance to improve it and possibly practice it and get feedback and and then change it change it again so that you're constantly working on it to make it even better and that might involve tailoring it if you're doing it for a, a different audience because nobody likes a cut and paste presentation that's delivered to the same audiences audience so again you might need to play around with your content in the preparation phase so now let's get to the preparation phase then what is involved in that because if you want to make your hamburger sandwich let's go with that example really tasty and juicy and meaty <laughs> you gotta have the nice juicy meat the buns do matter but I guess it's all about the meat there. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're vegetarian. <laughs> I know. That's, that's yeah. I, I'm trying to visualize someone who loves their hamburger sandwich. Let's go with the vegetarian. Ah, there's not too much substance in vegetarian <laughs> sandwiches. <laughs> so back to that hamburger. Then. 
Yeah, so the hamburger, so what you're putting in the middle would be your, um, your three, your three points or however many points that you've decided to share with the audience that are related to your topic and, and your, and your message. So that's really the preparation, um, moving on from the planning is the, actually putting it down on on paper or however it is you like to create a speech whether it's um a visual or or a sketch or but I personally um write it out on a word processor initially and um then spend as much time as I can um going over it and and possibly editing and making sure that you know every word Every word counts so that there's no extra stuff in there that doesn't really add value. And that goes for the, the slides as well. So at that point, I consider, am I going to be using any props or any visual aids, such as a, a keynote or a PowerPoint presentation? Will I be using notes? Um, will I be using um, a lectern or, or will I be standing at a podium? You know, thinking about the environment as well. And, and when I consider... Um, slides or no slides I, I personally always prefer to deliver with no with no slides but I know a lot of people do like to use slides so the way I, I think about slides is I ask myself does that particular slide add value to that message and if it does it stays in and if it doesn't it it goes but making the slides minimal uh, visually rich you know very very minimal text couple of words at, at the most in nice big font so that your audience are focusing on on you and possibly with the uh, visuals to enhance the message but they're not getting overloaded with you know, numerous bullet points or lots of data or graphs or information on the slides and also if you don't have all the information on the slides then you're not tempted to turn around and read it from the slides which so many speakers still do (laughs) (laughs) every time you'd get a dollar for that and you'll become a millionaire by now (laughs) you would yeah (laughs) Uh, so in terms of then preparing for it because like i like to when i do my presentations or someone asks for a great presentation from me i go Here's a piece of paper and uh, I literally write down, this is what I think I'll cover. This is like, just like, as you meant, make a mess on the paper. And then I go into the PowerPoint and create like old structure. It so this is part one, part two, part three, and then add the visuals. But I don't go about writing it. So is there any disadvantages in terms of not writing it? Because I like doing it more of a freestyle kind of thing. And I've never, like, even if I've written down, this is what I'm going to talk about. I've maybe covered some of the points, but I never try to remember it because I like to have that engaged audience and that sort of thing. So what's in that space? What's your opinion or what suggestion there? Yeah, yeah. I, I certainly know people that do it in different ways and I sometimes mix it up, but how I usually go about it is I will start off with the, the mess, which is the big, big mind map. And then I'll start to pull the messages, the sticky messages out of that and then start to make it into more of a structured format. I will put it on a, a word processor, word processor, cause I like to see the, the word count and I like to print it out while I'm practicing it. But then I will, um, unlearn it. So it won't be learned by memory. It will actually be, my speech will actually be internal 
internalized. So in order to be able to deliver the speech without any, any notes or cues or PowerPoint, it needs to be internalized so that um, when I'm doing the speech live, it can be uh, relived and, and re-experienced rather than, you know, re-read or, or retold. Um, so I do have to have a process to of learning the the speech, otherwise I wouldn't be able to remember it. And in the early days when it's still not um, that familiar to me if I'm working on something new, then I will write it out once and read it through a couple of times. Then I'll toss out the paper and I'll just write some headers, some keywords on tiny little cards that I'll put in the palm of, of my hand. And, and I might use the cards for another few days when I'm, I'm practicing. Um, I also record my my uh, speeches so that I can then listen to them um, quite passively while I'm just going about my daily tasks or as I'm going off to sleep at night and that way the message goes in and and I get used to you know how it sounds and whether I want to change anything uh, in the in the delivery style yeah so it's it's sort of quite a process um, for me to go from actually creating a speech to delivering one but um, on the other hand, I'm quite comfortable with getting up and doing um, a more off-the-cuff type of, of speech that, that hasn't really got that solid structure. So, you know, different different things for different occasions, I guess, yeah. But I don't have much of a memory, so <laughs> if I didn't write it down to start with, there's no way I'd remember it. I also use a visual. So once the speech is is um, written out and, and I've got it in my head, I'll actually see the speech visually. Yep. So I can see myself delivering it. Yes, yeah, all, all part of the practice, actually doing, it, doing the speech, yeah. Yeah, because that's something even I do, like when I've done the slides, I – I walk around my office and I'm like, oh, this is how I'll present and this is how what I'll talk and this is what the audience will react. And it's just all visual, but I never speak it. And someone's previously told me you should try speaking. And I'm like, but I'm afraid of that <laughs> <laughs> when I'm practicing. So I'm like, I don't know. So. Yeah, it's good to it's good to speak it speak it out loud. And I use I just use the little voice record pro um, app on my yeah. iPhone and a little uh, lav mic. I just tuck my iPhone in my my pocket and I do perform my speech out loud um, and record it. And I listen back because then you pick up the little idiosyncrasies in your voice that you'd like to change or you're not quite happy with because, you know, the vocals are really important, especially when you're podcasting and people can <laughs> see your face. So it's important to get the, the voice right. Yeah. True, true. But I just go freestyle. That's it. Freestyle, yeah. <laughs> uh, so in terms of we have already covered the practice side of things, so is there any thing, other tips that you would recommend to your clients when they do practice and especially – you know, for those nervous presenters or who haven't done anything before like this. Yeah. That you add on. Yeah. I, practice is really important and it's one thing that I can't do for my, my clients. So I always make it clear that, you know, I, I can coach you and I can share lots of tips and advice, but you've got to go away and, and do the work and practice really does make progress and you don't get anywhere in, in any sport or hobby or, or activity if you don't put in the work and you don't practice. And like anything, you get out of it what you're willing to put in. And people that say, Oh, I'm not going to practice. Uh, I want to be natural. I'm just going to wing it. 
you know, I, can, I you can usually tell when when a speaker <laughs> does that. And also, if you are really prepared and and well practiced, it takes away um, any nervousness and a lot of the uh, anxiety. So, if somebody is particularly nervous or anxious about public speaking, if they know their material and they know that they've spent that time and they've put in the work and they're really quite comfortable with their presentation because they've done it many times in their head and out loud and with an audience and without an audience and they've had some feedback, then they feel a lot more comfortable so that when the nervousness, if it does kick in, they've got that to fall back on that that they can say to themselves, well, look, I'm, I'm prepared and this will go really well because I've put in my practice. If you don't do the practice, um, then well, you deserve to forget where you are in your, in your, in your speech. It, it, it's hard to um, – it's it's hard when you you haven't put in the the time. Some people can get away with with winging it, but I think if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be professional and you want to be, um, you know, really known as a, an expert in your industry and you want to do a fantastic presentation and you want to do a great job, you've got to put in the work. And I think that, you know, for the speakers that are out there that are just so amazing and they just come across as being so effortless, yeah, there's no such thing as a, an effortless presentation. It, that's how they appear because they have spent so much time getting to that point that they look completely natural and they look completely effortless and spontaneous, but they've taken a lot of hard work to get to that point. <laughs> it's always hard work to make it look like as if there's no hard work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Lisa, so we've covered the planning, the preparation, the practice. So now we're pumped up, we're ready, we've made, I guess we've made the sandwich. Yeah. So <laughs> when you're offering it to someone else, when you're talking about delivery, what are the key things that – because You've got your message. You've got every single thing ready on the plate. Now you're taking <laughs> it to the serve, like to the restaurant to serve it <laughs> to the client, I guess. So to your customer, and how do you go about delivering that to make sure it's more elegant and more oomph and ah and everything? <laughs> <laughs> so adding the extra special elements to the speech so that you can have more charisma. So sorry, the special sauce. That's the one. Special <laughs> sauce, the special secret sauce with the uh, unknown ingredients. Yeah. So the special sauce are, you know, being able to use the voice so that it has a um, a good, rich texture and a three dimensional quality to it, because the voice can really bring the stories and the message to life. So just like you're speaking in everyday conversations, you know, you've got different pitch, you've got different tones, you've got different volume, you've got different pace. Um, you, you need to have that in your speaking as well. And often when people get a little bit afraid, they'll revert to a, a monotone or they will stay at the same volume or the same pitch. And that gets boring for a listener. So we need to keep it uh, mixed up, we need to keep the voice colourful and add that variety so that the voice is interesting. If the voice is interesting, the message will will stick. Um, adding uh, movement as well. Movement and gestures are really important in speaking. So being able to eliminate all the unnecessary little distracting movements that often speakers do, either because they're not aware or because they've got a lot of nervous energy. So those are the things like rocking 
backwards and forwards, you know, hopping around on, on one foot, swaying, pacing up and down for no apparent reason, your hands in pockets, juggling with keys or playing with bracelets or those sorts of repetitive movements that, again, you know, we do subconsciously when we're under a little bit of pressure, but they're really irritating for an audience member. And then they start focusing on those things rather than listening carefully to the message. So by um, seeking feedback and, and maybe even, you know, recording yourself and, and practicing, you can eliminate some of that unnecessary noise in, in terms of the distracting movements and gestures. Arms are the same. So arms waving around at a uh, uh, waving around in front of the face or um, punctuating the words. Yeah, that's really distracting as, as well. So nice movement, movements that's uh, congruent. So making sure that your gestures and your movement all match your words. So quite simple things like if you're talking about, you know, how happy or excited you are, you need to look happy and excited. But in contrast, if you're talking about a poignant moment or you're talking about, you know, a time when you were afraid or you were, um, sad. Well, that needs to be reflected in the facial language as well, because uh, then you, people will believe you. They're not going to believe you if you you look different to how your sound and, and the words and the body are not matching. It's all got to match up so that your message is believable. And um, what else was I going to say about the movement? Can't remember. Um, posture as well. Posture is really important. Stance and posture. So having a really nice, confident, tall posture and stance with shoulders down, you know, chest out, chin up and looking really confident. So being able to walk out on stage, however large or small the speaking area is that you've got and really owning that space. So, you know, if you're a little bit afraid, often we'll sort of walk out with a little bit of a closed position and that's a, that's a giveaway. It's a giveaway that you're, how you're feeling on the inside. You know, you can mask how you're feeling on the inside because people don't know what's going on and you can come out with a beautiful stance and posture, stride out confidently with your head held high, a beautiful smile on your face and just own that space. Um, and think about the audience because they are the most important part of your speech and you are really are only the messenger. It's all about the message. So the message is the gift that you have to share with your audience and you're just the vehicle and the messenger that is going to deliver that. So taking the focus off you, putting it on your audience, and then you're really able to connect and engage with them using really good eye contact and, and getting feedback and, and never hiding behind a lectern or using a PowerPoint as a crutch by reading off the, the screen. You know, those types of presenters don't have that ability to be able to connect with an audience. It's quite an impersonal type of, of presentation. So getting out and getting up close with your audience so they actually feel as though they're getting to know you and, and your personality through your your speech and the message that you're sharing with them during that presentation. So they're kind of some of the extra things that make an ordinary speaker outstanding because we can all be ordinary speakers with a little bit of practice. But if you want to be really special, you know, you've got to work at it and you need to um, think about adding in all the extra elements 
that make up the special sauce. Special sauce <laughs> it <speaker>. is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. So, and I remember just before when we were chatting, you talked about the extra, extra special sauce, the three C's. So what are those three C's, Lisa? <laughs> the three C's are courage, clarity, and charisma. And we've really covered those, I think. I mean, the courage is is that um, just doing something every day that, that scares you and, and stepping out of your comfort zone. So I try and do that all all the time and, and try and find something that makes me scared uh, so that I can try and nail that and get more comfortable with that so that I'm always on the edge. That makes me more able to understand how my clients feel and just being able to um, act confidently because the actions of confidence can, will often come before the feelings of confidence. So sometimes you need to act confident before you feel confident. Um, there's no you know, magic pill or quick fix. You just need to practice and get out there and, and do that. So that's the courage. The clarity is really around that being crystal clear on the purpose of your message and what it is that you want to um, the audience to take away. So the clear call to action and the one thing you want them to take away as a result of hearing your speech and being crystal clear on that, because if you're not clear, your audience won't be. And the charisma is the extra special things like using your voice effectively, giving it a three dimensional quality so that your message comes to life, using your, your body appropriately to add value to your message. So that's all the things like stagecraft and uh, characters and all the other fun stuff that you can do with a, a bigger speech that's more like a performance, not necessarily um, moving away from a business-type presentation, more of an entertaining performance, but certainly stuff that, that makes the speaking interesting. And uh, charisma, what was the other thing? Uh, the stance and the, the posture. <laughs> I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. And that's the thing. It wraps it up. And those three Cs wrap up pretty much all we talked about. So you've got, and it also wraps up the three Ps. So planning, preparation, practice, then delivery with the three C with that special sauce. So mm -hmm. that's a really good wrap up. Now, Lisa, in terms of you, obviously, this is a learned skill and you weren't born with this. So you have learned this from people. So whom have you followed? Whom have you seen do this very well and who teaches well? Obviously yourself, but whom do you follow and whom do you read or see do this kind of things? Oh, so many, so many, Janesh. I've got uh, hundreds and hundreds of YouTube give me a, videos. Give me a top five or give me a top ten. Okay. And well, I've been trained by Craig Valentine. Craig Valentine is the 1999 world champion of public speaking. So um, I'm a certified world-class speaker coach through his program. He is a fantastic uh, speaker. Darren LaCroix, L-A-C-R-O-I-X is another fantastic uh, speaker and a world champion. He's a master at humor. I love Tim Gard. I also love his humor. And I love Judy Carter. I love her humor. And Patricia Fripp is an all-time favorite. Oh, look, there are so many uh, speakers. Um, it's just a matter of, I think, of looking at a lot of YouTube videos, TED Talks, and various other training videos. Find somebody whose style that you like. And then um, looking at the strengths that that speaker has and, 
and modeling yourself on on the qualities that that they have great and those the five guys obviously they would have been doing this for years and years and this doesn't happen overnight so whoever if you're looking to develop your speech and your workshops and things like that because it's a whole different thing but you just got to start as you pointed out at the very start of this talk we had so lisa what's an action that the audience can take away from today in terms of delivering and creating that memorable message I think the action would be to get out there and get speaking about your business, your area of expertise. We've all got stories to, to share. So don't be afraid to speak up and speak out and, and share your stories with, with the world because stories do really change lives and create change in others. Um, think about the topic and the message that you want to share and put a speech together and then go out there and, and deliver it. Yeah, get started. That, that reminds me, we didn't talk much about storytelling and stuff because that's another big thing. And when you shared your story, I was moved and inspired by what you've gone through. So is there a structure to your story or how do you work out to get the stories and things? If we could quickly talk about that. Yeah, sure. Stories are important and there's four um, R's I use for, for storytelling. So first of all, if you you're going to use stories and anecdotes in your presentation. Making them real is important. So by real, I mean your own stories are the best because they are absolutely unique and only you have your stories. So if you haven't got a particular story that's relevant to your point about you or maybe somebody that you know or even a customer who whose permission you have to use their story, then, um, yeah, it's not quite as effective if you're using other people's stories, particular stories that have been well told, you know, such as well-known fables or, or kids' stories or the starfish story that a lot of trainers use. So making your stories real. And the second R is making your story uh, relevant. So your story needs to be relevant to the message that you're trying to tell. So not just throwing in random stories about something that happened to you on the way to the event or what you're doing after, after for tea or something like that. So it needs to be relevant to your message. And they need to be relatable as well. So you need to tell stories that your audience can relate to. Yeah. So you're not there to tell everyone how wonderful you are or everything that you've achieved. You want to the audience to be able to relate to your story in some way. Um, and the fourth one is um, rehearse. So by rehearsing your stories, I, I mean that um, – it's important to try and um, cut the story down so that you get to the important part soon on. Often when we retell our stories with friends over a drink, we'll then go into far too much detail. <laughs> and we'll say, oh, and then he said, and then she said, and then this happened, and then that happened. So all this extra stuff. So really keep your stories um Real, relatable, relevant, and rehearsed so that you can cut out anything that doesn't add value so that you're getting straight into the story. And um, thinking about your story um, in terms of a, a curve, so starting off with setting the scene briefly but getting into the story as soon as you can. So that's around the, the context. Uh, then bringing in a conflict um, which is, you know, something that, that happened to you that created a bit of a change, introducing some 
characters. If there's some other characters in your story, it's always great to have other characters. Um, and then the, the cure and the change. So, you know, what happened? And as a result of that, you know, how did you transform along your journey? And every, every business owner or entrepreneur has a story to tell about how they got into their business and why they're doing what the, what they're doing. And I think it's really important that we ask one another at networking events or at presentations, you know, how did you get started? And that's when you'll hear the, the rich, wonderful stories that, that people have got to, to share. And often people do go into business because uh, they're thrown into it for some reason or they um, had a problem and they've then come up with the, the solution or they've had a struggle and they then really want to help others overcome that, that struggle. So business owners are rich with, with stories, wonderful stories to, to share. No, that's great. And that wraps it up really well because that's like the extra, 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 extra <laughs> special sauce now. <laughs> <laughs> so now Lisa, thanks for sharing that. So before we finish off, uh, What's your, how do people get in touch with you and how they can find out more about what you do, your workshops, your consulting and your training? Yeah, my website is www.speakingsavvy.com.au. And you hang out on social media. I absolutely do hang out on social <laughs> media. Yeah. Hashtag speaking savvy. And Twitter handles S-A-W. or anything, Instagram. The same, speaking savvy. <laughs> awesome. Consistency. Ah, cool. <laughs> Consistency. I, I was unlucky enough to miss out on my handles, so I had to modify them, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, it's all good. Uh, so I'll put those links down on the show notes. And before we finish off, lastly, what is that one last piece of advice that you would leave with our audience today so that they make sure that they craft a memorable message and also deliver it? It will be get comfortable being uncomfortable. Don't be afraid to share your messages and stories. Get started because we've all got great stories to share and be really clear on the message that you want to deliver. And remember, the audience is always the most important part of your speech. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thanks a lot. I really love the hamburger sandwich with the extra, extra special sauce. (laughs) Thanks, Janet. (laughs) Didn't you love that uh, about the sandwich, how she put it and how much fun we had? And just imagine the power of stories. This is like I've attended Lisa's uh, stories from the heart event and I encourage you to do so. She has one coming up very soon. And she also runs workshops about speaking uh, as well. So you can check out all those details from her website, speakingsavvy.com.au. And so get in touch with her through her website, through her social media. She's very approachable and she'll be more than happy to help you. And she also has a 15-minute free consultation. So book her and get your discovery session happening to get your story out and out in the world shared across. Uh, That's it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed that. We'll be now back regularly and pumping this uh, podcast out. So looking forward to listening to that. And there's a lot more coming. So I'm back on this and I invite you to be come along back with me on this journey as well. Cheers. See you next time. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Key to Authority podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share at www.keytoauthority.com. We'll see you next time.